Well, good morning. You'll have to bear with my voice. I was not untouched by everything that's going around and hitting our church family and our community. And so I'm on my fifth day of antibiotics, just so you know. Nobody's in the spray zone up here. And um, so good to have Jenny with us and Josh. Thank you for being with us and ministering to us this morning. I was not expecting that twist in the story that, that you were the little girl. So we praise the Lord for life, for your mom's courage. Luke chapter 4. Open your scriptures to Luke chapter 4. Luke uh, is continuing to answer the question, who is Jesus? Simple question, but not so simple to answer as we get into this gospel. It's the most important question you will ever grapple with. Who is Jesus? His birth, as Luke recorded, was surrounded by unique details highlighting this unique person. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, angel messengers, a unique star, magi from the east, treasure gifts, and maybe the most horrific of all was Herod's satanic massacre of the innocents of all two-year-old boys and under. But even that is supposed to provide for you the answer to the question, who is this child? Why are Satan and human leaders so obsessed with him? Then a rugged prophet appears in Luke chapter 3, out of the wilderness, deliberately dressed and eating like an Old Testament prophet, bridging that gap of silent years between Malachi and Luke. Those are the two land bridges between the Old and the New Testament. And he announces the arrival of the Son of God, who also, surprisingly, is a sacrificial lamb. John says in John chapter 1, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Yet John was born first. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And we are meant to pause and ask, who is this Man, Jesus was told at his baptism by the Father that he is God's Son in whom the Father is well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him, and no time for celebration or feasting, but shortly after that, the same Spirit now leads Jesus out into the wilderness for a personal confrontation with the devil himself, a transcendent, evil, intelligence, one of the most powerful beings created, but one of the most powerful beings and probably the second most patient being in the world. If he can't destroy you today, he will wait 20 years. And Jesus has this confrontation with him, and the picture begins to get clearer and clearer about who this man really is. From that amazing victory... He heads back to his hometown in Nazareth, goes to the synagogue where he grew up, the synagogue he attended, customarily, it says, as a youth, and he's rejected. He reads from Isaiah, he unfolds the scroll, 
And the people rejoice at first at the sermon of their hometown rabbi, which means teacher. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and they still love the sermon until he says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And then he gives two illustrations about how God sent the Jewish prophets really as missionaries, not to Jewish widows or to a Jewish general, but to Gentiles. And the people's murderous hate within that synagogue was revealed, and they go to march him off a cliff to kill him. And you are meant to stop and ask, who is this? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Following his rejection at Nazareth, he descends elevation-wise towards the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum on foot, probably, for 40 miles And this will become Jesus' ministry headquarters. It's also where Peter and his family live. It's also where Andrew and James and John live. And it's there, 40 miles away, that he sets up his ministry base and he starts to perform miracles. And what's interesting is none of the gospel writers ever record that Jesus returned to Nazareth. Maybe he did. But there's no record that he ever left Capernaum or the other areas of Galilee and returned to Nazareth after their rejection. Some rejections are final. In our text this morning, we will see that the Son of God, Jesus, reveals he is a king with authority in three domains. That's the outline. He has authority in teaching, and it's truth that sets people free. He has authority over demons, and he delivers and sets people free. And he has authority over sickness, and he heals in a way that sets people free. And each is immediate, but each has full implication of an eternal reality of full deliverance in the future. So this snapshot in Capernaum reveals to us further who Jesus is And what he does. Let's look at this. Let's look first at verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. And as we continue to answer the question, who Jesus is, let's see if you can find the answers. In verse 31, it says, And he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Who is Jesus? Well, he's a teacher. He's a prophet. He's the prophet that has come to announce good tidings. Of course, Jesus, as he's teaching, is probably primarily teaching the Old Testament. That's what they had. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. But as he's teaching, his teachings become then a testament that's new. But Thabiti Anyabwile said, Our Lord taught the Old Testament like it was his autobiography. He says in Mark chapter 1, let us go on to the next towns, and here's his primary ministry, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues. This was a time when the synagogues still let him come in, until, until leaders were sent from the south, from Jerusalem, to spy out this promising 
young rabbi, and all of a sudden, he's kicked out of the synagogues, and now he is teaching outside. In the same chapter of Mark, as he's recording a similar event here in Luke 4, he heals a leper, but he tells him not to tell anyone. Now, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? And the reason is, if his ministry became primarily healing, he would be so crowded that he could not teach the truth that he came to proclaim. In Mark 6.34, it says this, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He's still up in the Sea of Galilee area. And he had compassion on them. And it's very interesting what Jesus does. He sees this huge crowd. He has compassion on them. And what is the first thing he does? He says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, here's what he does. And he began to teach them many things. He feeds them as well, but not until he teaches them with authority. Jesus revealed authority in his teaching. Secondly, Jesus revealed his authority over demons. Look at verse 33. And and don't miss this detail. In the synagogue... It would be like saying, and in the church building. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So how do we answer the question, who is Jesus, from this narrative section? Yes, he is a prophet, a teacher with unique authority, but he is also a Lord and King who can deliver with a command, with a word. It's actually connected to his teaching. His teaching isn't just more information. His teaching is an example and demonstration of power. The first miracle in Luke is an exorcism. It's not his first miracle. John says the first sign that Jesus did was in Cana, also in this region, where he turns water into wine. But Luke records this one first on purpose. The major opponent in Jesus' ministry consists of the spiritual forces of evil. Demons are noted 23 times in Luke's Gospel, with 14 of those references occurring in, from Luke 4 to chapter 9, verse 50. Jesus already had a, a satanic face-to-face confrontation, and now he begins to confront the devil's cohorts. It's interesting that it's not a sensational account. Luke records Just enough detail so you don't get distracted by the sensational phenomenon, and he keeps what we would call a Christological focus. Everything about this setting, the synagogue, the man with an unclean spirit, is still causing you to focus on Jesus. That's the point of the Gospels. It's not about some sensational spiritual warfare sort of to-do list. What's supposed to stand out here is the power and authority of Jesus. Daryl Bach said in his commentary, 
All Jesus' miracles in some way reflect a visual representation of some significant spiritual reality, often the depth of the cosmic struggle associated with his ministry. Right here at the beginning of this account, the veil is pulled back and you enter into a religious building where Jesus, the Son of God, grew up. And guess what's inside? A demon. That, to me, is the most surprising detail. The location of this event. And it should be instructive to us. And here's the point. Demons can be very comfortable in religious environments. But they are not comfortable around Jesus. You see the difference? In the Garden of Eden, Satan boldly denied the words of God. In the wilderness, Satan quoted scripture word for word. Satan tried to exploit a religious atmosphere by taking Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. How opulently religious. Later on, Judas, after Satan entered him, will sit in the upper room eating the Passover feast. You see what's happening here? He is invading all these different religious contexts. By the way, Judas put forward fake fellowship. Shortly after, Judas would kiss Jesus in betrayal. There is not only fake fellowship, there is artificial emotion, and that is also a sign of demonic presence. Being comfortable with religion makes us no different than the demons. The question is, what happens when you are confronted with Jesus Christ? As the demon will say, he's he's accurate, the Holy One of God. Look at verse 23. The unique authority of Jesus is revealed in the synagogue as he confronts a demon. It says in verse 23, he cried out with a loud voice. Demons speak. But the demon also recognizes a superior spiritual power, which is Jesus. One demon speaks as representative for the others. Look at verse 24. What have you to do with us? Later on in Luke, we're going to have a a much more detailed scene where Jesus goes across the lake and he lands in the country of the Gerasenes and there is a man who's living among the tombs. He's chained, he's cutting himself, he's naked, and he confronts Jesus. And he is delivered Jesus actually engages with him, and he says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. The townsfolks, according to the the herdsmen, they go back and tell the townsfolks that, by the way, that guy living up there among the graves, he's, he's clothed, and he's in his right mind, and he's sitting at Jesus' feet. You know what their response was? They want to kick him out of their town. Religion is not the same thing as knowing the Holy One, the Son of God. What have you to do with us? Plural. Literally, what do we have in common? Or, why are you interfering now? This is what the world will feel when you radiate Jesus Christ. That's the effect that salt and light is supposed to have. Light illuminates darkness, salt preserves or prevents decay. 
And as we are followers of Jesus Christ and we are salt and light, we illuminate darkness and the darkness hates it. And we preserve from rottenness. The demon knew he belonged to a different realm. Christ and demons do not mix. Truth and error do not mix. I have to ask myself the question, does what I love and what I hate reveal that I belong to the realm of the Holy One of God? Or is there, as the demon sensed, an incongruity between the two? Not only do demons speak, but they have knowledge. Look at verse 34. They know Jesus' personal identity in his place of origin. Ha, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, that's 40 miles away. They also know something about the judgment to come. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's fascinating to me the knowledge that this demon has. They know the true character of Jesus. It is a staggering revelation of truth. Later on in Luke 8.28, it says this, when the demon saw Jesus, listen to his response. He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And in Luke 8.31, it says they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Demons have an incredible eschatology and an incredible knowledge of future events. And by the way, demons are often, I believe, better theologians than many professing Christians. James 2.19 says this, You believe that God is one? You do well, but even the demons believe. They don't just believe, but what happens? There's an emotional reaction to their belief. They shudder. They fear. Jesus does not accept the demon's testimony, even though it's true. Because it could have appeared as if Jesus were in a league with Satan or that somehow Jesus was on the same team as the demons and he simply then gives a command. But thirdly, I want you to notice that demons are powerful, but they are not all powerful. Look at verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. He had the power to possess. He had the power to throw the man down. He has the power to take over the voice. Demons are powerful, but they're not all powerful. And that is part of the answer you should be arriving at with the question, who is Jesus? He is a compassionate, all-powerful deliverer. No incantations, no rituals, no props, no smoke or mirrors, no illusions, two commands. Stop talking and come out of him. Simple and authoritative. And Jesus, interestingly, recognized two different but very real personalities. The unclean spirit and the man. And then the violent fit that he has, look at verse 35, and then when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him. And of course, the medical doctor, Luke, is going to add this little note, having done him no harm. In the presence of Jesus, Satan and the demons can do no harm if that's what Jesus desires. 
Even the people are amazed. Look at verse 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? Remember his teaching with authority and his word of authority in delivering this man. What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Teaching that has an effect a ministry that delivers and transforms lives. And finally, and this one is really, really quick, Jesus reveals his authority over sickness. Luke, a medical doctor, wants to be sure we distinguish between physical sickness and demon possession. They're different. And they're stacked up here on purpose, so there's a clear distinction. Look at verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue after the exorcism and entered Simon's house. That's Peter, Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law, by the way, Simon was married. Peter was married. He has a mother-in-law. Was ill with a high fever. By the way, I say that because the Church of Rome believes Peter was the first pope and that popes should not be married. And yet here you have Peter who has a mother-in-law. And so just being extremely biblical here, I want to highlight that point uh, for truth's sake, okay? His his mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And by the way, don't arrive at the wrong question about who is Jesus, because you have a sick pastor preaching to you this morning, and I prayed for healing, and many of you prayed for healing. And one of our elders is home with pneumonia, and we prayed for his healing, and he still has pneumonia. So don't arrive at the wrong question or the the wrong answer. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God who always heals. That's not true. He's the Son of God who can always heal, but often chooses not to in his own wisdom. But in this case... He's revealing his authority over another unseen realm, not just the spirit world, but the world of sickness and disease. And they appealed to him on her behalf, verse 39, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. The answer is Jesus is a compassionate healer. Whereas the first miracle benefited a man, So much like Luke, the second one benefits a woman. Fevers do not have ears or minds. Fevers are not sentient beings. But the Son of God speaks to a virus or whatever else is causing this high fatal fever. And this unhearing, unthinking thing obeys him. It's a beautiful picture. That Christ, the Creator, has authority over his creation even in its fallen condition. You'll see that in another occasion where he's sleeping after a long days of ministry and the disciples are starting to get anxious in a storm. Seasoned fishermen anxious in a storm on the sea is a problem. And they start to wonder if Jesus even cares. Lord, do you, not, you don't care for us? Jesus simply rises and he, and he says what? Some of you are thinking, peace, be still, 
right? That, there's a hymn. It's actually, it's a stronger Greek term. It's be muzzled. It's stop. And then, and you could probably hear the drips of water on the side of the boat. And everything's calm because the Creator commanded His creation to obey. Certainly we are not to walk away from this text believing God will heal every sickness. So what are we to learn? We're to learn the answer to this question. Who is Jesus? He is a prophet who teaches with authority. With a word he delivers fully. And he can speak a word and bring complete healing. Look at verse 40. It will give you an overview and then we'll conclude. Now when the sun was setting, by the way, it's it's the Sabbath. He was in the synagogue. The sun is setting. When the sun sets, the Sabbath is over. People can start to do chores again and now they can bring to Jesus the sick. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Quaint, simple, beautiful picture where the Son of God's authority is revealed in three distinct domains, teaching the spiritual realm of demons and sickness. Two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That is the certain truth that Luke is putting before us in uncertain times. In a post-post-modern world, that's the truth that Luke doesn't want you to miss because it's the most important question. And secondly, if you do believe that, the question that came to my mind this morning was what fears or temptations continue to paralyze us or our loved ones? What cycle of defeat are we caught in? Or what cycle of defeat and failure are our loved ones caught in? And really, if you want to condense it down to three words that stand out of this passage, it's compassion, deliverance, and healing. And I want to encourage us here at the close to look at verse 38 once more. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And I want our prayer time this morning to be a time of silent prayer where we pray for one another because we don't really know what's going on in each other's lives and hearts. We don't know the the cycles and battles that we're facing typically. But to be confronted again with Jesus' compassion, his deliverance, and is healing. And if you're overcome by fear, this will be the last passage I read for the sermon, listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Compassion, deliverance, and healing. Some of you need to cry out for that this morning, even as his child. Some of us need to do that and cry out for family members and loved ones. So let's bow our heads and pray, and after about 30 seconds of silent prayer, I will close this in prayer.